1: And only you can answer that. So I could look at this and go, yeah, it's, it's great because it's shorter, but if it stripped out the three vital things that you needed me to know, then no, it's a complete failure because it hasn't given me the absolutely critical things that serve the purpose of the message.
2: Why did I become an executive coach? I saw lots of great people fail to get ahead at work while their much less talented peers blew right past them. That made me furious, but also curious. What were great people getting wrong? It came down to helping them re-examine what drove success and then helping them make critical shifts one hard truth at a time.
3: Feel like you're doing everything you were told, but you're not moving ahead at work nor having the impact you seek? Then welcome to 97% Effective with Michael Winderoth. Where we skip feel-good, happy talk and engage experts in pointed conversations about what it really takes to move the needle at work and your career. So if you feel stalled or frustrated or seek that extra edge as you move to the next level, then look no further. This is the Hard Truths playbook you never got.
2: Hi, I'm Michael Wenderoth and you're listening to 97% Effective. Close your eyes did you see it? Did you see my wink? Poor communication is like winking in the dark, one of my favorite descriptions. Hard truth. If we want to be effective at work and in our careers, we have to be able to communicate concisely, efficiently, and effectively. Because if no one sees you wink, what good is winking? Two more hard truths. Poor communication is one of the top reasons people do not get promoted. And poor communication is the number one most hardly judged leadership trait. Today we're gonna dive into written communication, business work email to be exact, which sucks up, get ready for this statistic, a whopping 28% of our work week. That's 13 hours. If you're working a 40 hour work week, which none of us are, who wouldn't like that number to be lower or to be less painful? There is no one better to address this topic than the top communications expert, trainer, speaker, and author, Chris Fenning. We're going to discuss his latest book, Effective Emails The Secret to Straightforward Communication at Work. Here I got it on my Kindle. It's yet Another brilliant communication book he has written that you want by your side. This episode is for you if you're new to the workforce, you're a seasoned leader who's probably overconfident of how well you communicate, or you want to help someone on your team become more effective. Always concise and on point. Chris is going to improve some emails, including ones that I wrote. Very eager to see how we can clean those up and make them more effective. You're going to leave with some key principles, and I'm sure at least one practical insight you can put in practice immediately at work. Chris's mission is very simple and concise. Make communication less painful. He draws from deep experience leading technical and business teams across the world, and training individuals and teams from startups to Fortune 50 companies. Chris, welcome back to 97% Effective.
1: Thank you, Michael. It is a real pleasure to be here again.
2: In our previous episode, we spoke about your first blockbuster book, The First Minute, how to start conversations that get results. That title says it all. And that book focused on verbal communication. Now you write effective emails. And the first response of of many people out there, including initially myself, why emails? I mean, emails are inefficient old and they feel like they might actually be dead. So why did you write the book?
1: Ah, well, the first word you use to describe them is one of the key parts of the answer. People think email is inefficient. But how many emails do you get in a day or a week? That quantity we just talked about in the opening. So quite a few. So email, is email dead? If it was, we wouldn't be using it, and we wouldn't be inundated with it. So part of the reason for doing this is, yes, email is being supported by, and in some cases um, outdated because of things like Slack and other messaging channels, but email is still a critical and core functional way that we communicate at work. And why did I write the book? Well, because it is ineffective, because it it is a pain point, because it takes up so much time in our week, that was it 23 or 28%, the 13 hours in a 40-hour work week, it takes up a lot of the time that we have available. And if we can do something to make it 1% better, that really adds up over the year. And I believe that a lot of emails can be made more than 1% better.
2: So it is a bit of a necessary evil, but again, how can we make that less painful and improve it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, it's a necessary evil, but it's an evil of our own making. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, use, we use the tools that are available to us, and there are dozens, if not hundreds of different communication tools. The way that we communicate, whether it's spoken, written, semaphore, Slack email, something else, we still have to be clear, concise, and organized. It doesn't matter what tool we're using, we still have to be organized. You can have a bad phone call. You can have a bad conversation or a bad email. One of the reasons that email is so vilified is because there's so much of it. So if we were having conversations that were as unstructured as emails, we'd be annoyed at conversation. It's just that we've shifted from conversation into into email. We've just changed where the pain is happening, not the fact that there is pain.
2: So those key principles and frameworks, which come through in your first book and also in this book, very much apply to all the methods, all the means of communications, which we are now inundated with. So widely applicable.
1: Oh yeah, definitely, definitely a lot of overlap. The stuff from the first minute is applicable to emails, conversations, meetings, phone calls. And the common areas between the two is about how we structure, how we introduce and frame the messages, and then how we deliver with clarity. The great thing about email is you get a little bit longer to do it. And when you're writing an email, you can go back and change what you've put in it. You can't do that with a conversation as easily because it's flowing and you don't get to uh, review exactly what was said. But in an email, you have that magic ability to, before you hit send, go back and check, have I done this as clearly as I as I possibly can?
2: Chris, this podcast is about drawing from evidence and and research. And so I do want to ask at the outset here, is this book kind of emails according to Chris? I've known you for a long time. You are very thoughtful, very responsible in terms of the research, writing, testing, soliciting, thinking about this as a global book, because there is frankly a lot on the line when hundreds of thousands of people are downloading your book and then suddenly putting it <laughs> in practice yeah. uh, at work, so so I want to ask, you know, yeah. w- where's the beef, so to speak? You know, the research, the process behind what you say and, and recommend in the book on on
1: writing effective emails. It is really important to make sure this is grounded in fact, and not just the world according to Chris. However much I would like that to be the case, there is definitely some of the book that is based on my experience, my ideas, things that I've gained and learned from other people, but there is also legitimate research on it. So for example, in the in the middle section, which talks about layout and formatting, there were a number of research studies. They were done under the, the guise of psychology. So they come out in psychology research papers about the use of white space. And there were plenty of studies, and th- these are all listed in the back of the book. So there's a there's a bibliography, and reference section, there were studies on the impact of the space between letters and this adding white space into a message between lines and separating out paragraphs. And this significant, not one or two percent, but 20 plus percent significant change in the speed that people could read and the accuracy with which they retained the information in the message. And that's really important when it comes to work emails. Any any conversation and communication needs to be clear and understood, and it's helpful to be accurate. But in work messages, where so much of it is transactional, and it's important that we've picked up the right facts, just by adding white space, you can improve the chances that somebody reads and correctly interprets the words that you put on the page.
2: And if listeners out there take away nothing... Short and brief is better. You cite a study at Harvard where they did an A/B test, and response and digesting of the message improved sixty percent. So I thought that was quite stunning when I saw that, and that really lent credence to a lot of what you said.
1: That's a great. Could we chat about that for thirty seconds?
2: Sure. Before it's
1: a great. It's a great study. It was followed by a couple of uh, professors at Harvard, but the actual experiment was done using the Boston Globe newspaper. What happened is an email was sent out to 50 to 100,000 people, really large audience size. And an email was sent out, and it had something like 180, 200 words in it. And then they sent another email where all they did was cut out a section. They didn't change any of the other words, but they cut out two thirds in the middle. Uh, the, sort of the, the fatty bit of the conversation where they were giving some background and some reasons why something was happening, and they just cut it out, left the beginning, left the end, and put it together. Not only did the read rate go up for those emails, but the response rate doubled. They were asking people to fill out a short survey. The response rate doubled when they took out 50 to 60 percent of the words. Absolutely incredible. Short really does make a difference.
2: Doubling your effectiveness right there. Practical takeaway. We can stop the conversation here, but there is much (laughs) more. And, And to frame our discussion and to start to move into it, let's be clear here. In this podcast and your book, we're going to talk about work emails, the kind of conversations going on between two or more colleagues versus marketing, communication, anything you want to add to that, just so we've set the framework?
1: This is not about sales. If you're looking for a way to improve your sales email conversion, this it, this isn't that. Maybe there's some crossover, but it's it's definitely not aimed at that. This is the communicating with work colleagues, with clients, with vendors, with peers, with managers, inside the boundaries of your work, not outbound selling and not marketing. Okay.
2: So email at work In context, before we look at how to write your communications more effectively, we are now inundated with ways to communicate. There's chat, tools like Slack, and even, I dare say, old school ways of communicating, like walk over and talk to someone
3: or ask and
2: pick (laughs) up the phone. I I am fond of that old saying that email sometimes is reach out and avoid someone. Chris, help us out. You've got all these tools at your disposal to communicate with other people. Is there certain situations where email is better or you should be thinking email versus like I should walk over, I should do this? Is there a simple way to think about this?
1: Yes, but I'd approach it from the inverse. There are situations where you definitely should not use email. Mm. And a, a pretty good guiding principle is the more personal the topic, the more emotive it is, and the bigger the consequence of the message, the closer you should be to being in-person face-to-face. Okay, okay.
2: Very simple way to think about this. Emotive, lot on the line, go for in-person.
1: Yes, don't fire someone by an email. And we've seen a slew of that Early, early 2023. There were a number of companies that let people go by email, and there was a mass broadcast email. And there's a logistical element to you know, wanting to inform a thousand people at once so the rumor mill isn't going, and it is easier to do that. And but that is a very personal interaction with a human being whose life is being affected. If you are going to give someone a message that will not make their day, or even if it will make their day, the emotive can be good and bad. If you're going to do something that has a is going to have an emotional response or have an impact on the individual, the closer you can get to being in person with them, the better. And that might be video. That might be the next best thing. And then phone call, and then email, and definitely don't do it by Slack. You're fired, done.
2: Yeah. Simple principle to think about when you're out there communicating. So Chris, Okay, you know that I never miss a chance to drop a Chinese idiom, which are very concise, short for words, that tell a whole story. And in this case, this Chinese idiom, very relevant here, is that saying it 10,000 times is not nearly as effective as seeing it once. So we discussed in advance what would be most effective in this episode to share a few of the core principles of your book. Which is full of examples, frameworks, great summaries, and you can use it in a lot of ways as a guidebook. But we thought here it would be useful to examine an actual communication. And we served up some of mine. And in fact, when I was reading the book, I went through the process. Multiple times you have this audit. Pick up your last five emails. Go back and look at them. Yeah, Painful, guys. <laughs> right? This is had 20-year corporate also do a lot of writing. So even to go back and look at your five is very instructive. And so we picked out two that we're going to look at here. May this be a little bit humbling for me, but again, I approach this as you can always (laughs) learn, but ultimately practical because I think it's very, very on point for viewers and listeners and, and illustrates many of the frameworks and principles that you talk about. So, Chris, I want to turn it over to you. We picked two examples. Let's let's look at them. How they could be better.
1: Okay. Yeah. Let's take a look. Can we bring up the first slide on the screen? Excellent. So, what we've got on the screen, and I will zoom in. Don't worry. I'm not going to make everybody squint, particularly if you're looking at this on your phone. This would be particularly small. And if you're if you're watching this on the YouTube video, feel free to pause at any point so you can go into the into the detail. We'll keep things on the screen for a while as I go through. So, what I've got here. Uh, on the screen, and for those listening to the podcast, I'm sharing a an email that Michael sent me. And it's a long email with a lot of information. Now, long doesn't mean bad. Earlier on, Michael, you asked me, is email dying? Is it necessary? Yes, it is, because it's a great way to share a significant amount of information. And in this case, it was logistical prep for for this conversation. So there right. were lots of things in here I needed to know. And we couldn't skimp on the detail. I needed to have the detail that was here. But what, I'm, what I've am what i done, and I've deliberately left it zoomed out, is I'm gonna ask you a quick question, Michael. How many emails does it look like I have on the screen at the moment?
2: It looks like you've got like two or three,
1: potentially. It looks like I've got two or three. There's only one. In fact, the one carries on beyond. So the very first thing I see is I look at this and think it's an email chain, and it sounds as though, and you wrote this, it sounds as though it, you're feeling the same. It's actually your signature block mm. look, makes it look like the header of a new email. Mm. So Michael's signature block has, I'll zoom in on, the, uh, on it over here if I can. Michael's signature block has a lot of great info in it. It's got the links to his website uh, and contact email address, all the normal things. But it's presented itself in a very similar format to how the header of an email comes when you forward it. So it looks like there's two emails in the one. So right off the bat, my, my mind goes to, Am I? do I have to process more information? Am I trying to join pieces together? And so a tip is just consider if there's something you might want to do with your your uh, email signature. And I've got some comments about the bits that come after, but we'll come to that. On
2: that one, Chris, because I'm always learning here. So this one, I agree. Like you kind of look at it in your eyes are like, oh my gosh, I'm going to just save this when I got time to read it. Yes. What should I do there? Should I cut it? Shrink it, change the font. What's the simple solution there?
1: I will show you and talk through it. Ah, okay. I would also say right. that revising signature blocks not a strength of mine. I certainly wouldn't go into business doing that for people. There's loads of good information online, short and clear. You can personalize them, but in this case, we've discovered a, an accidental flaw where it looks like <laughs> like an email header. So what I've what I did is I revised it. And I want to say to folks, there's, a, there's actually a lot of information after the um, email block, which is praise for Michael's fantastic book called Get Promoted. And if you haven't got it, you should. It's a fantastic book. The praise is something that a lot of us authors have. We've got other people who are we respect, people who are respected in their industries, say positive things about our books and, and recommend it. Unfortunately, in this case, Michael, and uh, you asked for feedback, so this is what we're doing and we've always got into the main content. It looked like a whole other email because there was a lot of it. And so what I've done with your signature is I've made one significant change, and that is I changed your URLs into hyperlinks with readable words. In your previous signature, you had links to buy your book to promote the podcast and it was, as many web addresses are, just a long string of letters and numbers and so on. And those are difficult for people to interpret because it's not what we're familiar with seeing. One of the tips, this is, this is in the book, and it's true in the body of your email or in the signature, wherever you use it, if you include a link to somewhere else, make it a clickable hyperlink and not a URL. A URL is the whole string that you would type in if you had to type it all in. A clickable hyperlink is where you've put the words. In this case, uh, it's my book Get Promoted Available on Amazon and I've turned the words Available on Amazon into the link that you click. And that has tidied up your signature. If we then took out the praise for Get Promoted underneath, it would look like a signature block. So your options are remove the praise afterwards or as I've done here, make them much shorter and include just one or just two. Too much information and people stop reading. Pick the one really powerful point you want to make and then that is the promotion for the book. Yeah,
2: and the headline I'm hearing here also is beware of cognitive overload that hits your recipient.
1: Yes. Okay. Oh yes, yeah, that's a great summary of it. i go back to the beginning of the, of the email. So I've returned back to the whole of the first email. The majority of it is on the left-hand side of the screen. Now, we start an email review with the subject line. Is the topic and the purpose clear? And in this case, it is. It's long, and that's okay. It's our upcoming podcast interview. That's the topic. And the purpose is logistics reminders. So I know when I see this email in my inbox, I know what it's about and why I need to open it. So you did a good job with that. You included 97% effective because that's the name of the podcast. So if I was going for lots of shows at the same time, that would help me distinguish your show from someone else's. So an argument could be made that there's a too much in there, but I th- I think you're fine because you've got the two key points, which are a topic and a purpose. I know what it's about and why I'm meant to read it. For the rest of it, there's a lot of information, and you've used formatting. So as I scan through the page, you've got, and I'm going to change this to a single view. So I look at one page at a time, and I'll zoom in a bit more. So you've introduced the email by with a personal greeting. Hey, Chris, I'm excited about our podcast interview on Thursday to discuss effective emails. This reminder bullet and key logistic reminders and tomorrow I'm gonna to send you some extra information. So you've told me what's in the email. So you've set it up nicely, it's good, a good introduction. And then you said, if you've got any questions, reach out, Michael. So you've signed off. And now below that, there is a lot of information, stuff that I need to know. And for the benefit of people listening and not watching this, there's a blend of bold type font, underlined, there's numbers, there's bullet points, there's some italics. And what individually those things are okay, but there's a lot going on on this page. And there comes a point when you highlight information in an email that when you're highlighting everything, you can't distinguish what is the most important. The good news is the changes for this email are very, very simple and quite slight and they'll make a significant difference. So before I show you and what, what comes next, I want to pause, <laughs> I've been talking for a few minutes. Questions or comments, Michael?
2: Well, so first thing I'm hearing is this subject line was good, could be perhaps a little bit tighter, the intro was decent, framed it up, which when I went back and audited in your book, I said, okay, these were pretty decent in that area. Then, yeah, I had some of the challenge here as we were looking at this. As you say it, I'm kind of like cringing. Oh my gosh, I highlighted too much stuff. i have been using everything <laughs> italics, <laughs> bold, <laughs> underline, and, and combinations thereof. So yeah, I'm very eager to hear how we would tighten this up. And maybe it's cutting information? I'm not sure because I kind of think of this as they're reminders. They're not super urgent, but you would know where to go, you know, when you eventually, you know, an hour before or half an hour, get ready to sign into the show. Yes.
1: And what you've described there is a dilemma that many of us face at work. We need to send a lot of information to people. Is it too much? Do I cut it? Do they need all of it? There isn't a problem with too much information, as long as it's relevant and valuable. So assuming it's relevant and valuable information and not just filler and and waffle. The key is how you present it and how you structure it. So I've made some changes, but I've not taken anything out. So let's take a look at what I've changed. In the revised version, the first thing I did was I added the word request into your introduction, I added one thing, which was, please review this and let me know if you have any questions. So in the introduction, what you wanted, and I knew this because we talked, is you wanted me to give you feedback if there was anything I wasn't clear about and needed anything, but it wasn't explicitly stated. Mm. So So I could have received, exactly, I could have received this and said, oh, it's just info, I'll scan it before I join the call. Whereas you had a request for me, you wanted to know, you wanted me to review it. There was an action for me to take. Please review it and then let you know if I have questions because you wanted me to read this info because it was important that I turned up on in the right place at the right time <laughs> and so on. So by putting the request on its own line and labeling it as a request, it stands out from the introduction paragraph. I can't help but see it. And this is true if you're asking a question, giving someone an action, making a request, that if you put it on its own line with the white space above and below and label it, even better, turn the label into something bold, your eye is immediately drawn to it and you can't help but see somebody is asking you something. That is one of the most powerful ways to improve the quality of emails you get back. Don't bury questions in the middle of a paragraph. Put them on their own line, label it as a question, show that it's there. And you will get actual answers to your questions and people won't skim over them and not see them in the middle of a paragraph.
3: You've been listening to 97% Effective with your host, executive coach, Michael Winderoff. If this interview is making you think, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, back to our interview. Okay.
2: So I'm also taken away there. Don't bury the lead, right? This comes back from the journalism background that I've got. And this would be the opportunity there at the top in the intro if there was something super important like make sure you test on Chrome. So be explicit.
1: Don't bury it. Don't bury it. And if you have a lot of important things, which you do in this, the intro is a summary of there are five important things I need you to know. The details are below. Please review them and let me know if you have questions. So you're summarizing at the beginning but you're letting people know there are multiple different things they need to look at. The more explicit you can be, the clearer it is for your audience to understand. Okay. All right, now for the changes. Mm -hmm. The first one is a very simple change. I added more space between your message and your information because you were sending me a message and a document, but all in the one email. It wasn't a Word doc, but there was a significant volume. An extra bit of white space makes it obvious where the message ends and the information begins. Very, very simple change. Mm -hmm. Then I provided structure with headings. You'd already got logistics reminders. But under there, you had multiple topics, and they didn't all fit in the same category. You had headshot and bio and the connection. Those were logistics reminders. But you also had information about the questions that you were going to ask. That is a separate topic give it its own heading, a bit of white space between them and I can see at a glance that I've got two main sections to look at, logistics reminders and questions. And I as a as a reader, I'm now able to separate this information and know that I when I've come to the end of the logistics and know when I'm beginning a new section about the questions we're going to discuss in the podcast. It is cleaner. It's cleaner. Now, you can go back and look at the the actual detail. I'm not going to go through every single thing that I did, sure. but I did a little bit of extra formatting to help separate out headshot and bio from the info that was connected to it, rather than being one long sentence, subheading, and information. It's easier to to consume it when it's in small chunks.
2: Yep. It is indeed.
1: And onto Great. the second page, it was a very quick jump. You sent a list of questions. Those are still in the same format. What I did get surprised by is you ended the email again. So you'd already ended the email in your initial message, and now you've ended it again. And unfortunately, because of the, the signature looking like a new email, it made me think there were three emails in the chain. So I had to go back and check I hadn't mis- misunderstood something. Yeah. So the double goodbye, <laughs> or ending the email again, one or the other, doesn't matter, it really doesn't matter which one.
2: So a question for you, Chris, would it have been better the second section just as a as an attachment, as a Word document, to say this uh, stuff is outlined there instead of in the body of the email? So you'd get less text, right? Someone says,
1: oh my gosh, there's so much there. There is no right answer to that. Okay. There are, yeah. there's, there's studies and debates, uh, yes, debates on this particular question because the open and read rate of an attachment is very low but also the read rate of a very long email is very low. And so some people will never open attachments. Some people will never read a long email. There is no one size fits all. This is why the first few lines of the email are critical. Both the subject line and the first few lines in the introduction are critical for telling people what the email is about and what they have to do with it. Because if they have to read all of it, They need to know that in those first few lines. Otherwise, some people are just going to not read it because it's too long. Yeah, yeah.
2: So one key takeaway from this email that we should remember, what would you highlight?
1: When you're sending a lot of information, put very clear headers and white space between each body of info. Keep the topic separate.
2: Reduce that cognitive overload. Great example, particularly a very dense one. Very live, very relevant, very fresh for me. It was two days ago. And so this is going to help me a lot because future guests will benefit. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. And to, to summarize this, I added one line in the introduction, which was a clear request. And then I hit the enter button a few more times to create more white space. And I did a little bit of formatting for, I removed some of the bolding and underlining. But yeah. it was, it was. 60 seconds to change it from one to the other, and it made it much cleaner to read.
2: Yeah, great, very helpful, thank you.
1: You're welcome. Now we have spent quite a lot of time on this. We've got another example, or we can move to some questions. Which would you prefer? I'd love
2: to see that other example.
1: Yes, okay, I will bring it up. On the screen now, Is the original message with all identities protected? Assistant is now called Assistant, and we've taken I've taken out some uh, email addresses and direct URLs and so on. So there's a little bit of of cutting here from the original. And what what I've got is at the very top. Please ignore the few bits at the bottom. Uh, There's a few there notes that I made. So Michael, I believe you. Can you tell us a little bit? Give us some context about this.
2: So I have an assistant who helps with a bunch of my work, particularly this show, helps do some of the edits, processes things so that we can continue to launch great episodes on a weekly basis. And as you can see here, we we rely on email. They are remote. They, They work on their own schedule. And this is nice because it's short, but as we look at it, there was some challenges I had with this email.
1: All right. So thank you for the, for the context, and I want to start with what the email is about. And it's in the subject line. How many topics are in this email?
2: So there's three, Allison edits, weekly agenda, and additional notes.
1: All right. Now, the Allison edits, from knowing the context of this, it's, that was a particular podcast episode that was being edited with Allison. So that topic was fairly clear. The weekly agenda is a clear topic. But additional notes is vague. What what is that? Is that additional? And what am I meant to do with it? Right. So you've got three topics. Two out of the three are clear. One is ambiguous. And it's unclear what you as a recipient need to do with this message. Are you meant to read it, file it? Is there action? Do you have to is the building on fire? Do you have to pay invoices? None of that is clear from the subject line. So what's What the impact was is you didn't know whether you had to read this first or whether you should have skipped to another email or done something else or talked with with a client. And this is why the subject line needs to have the topic and the purpose. What is the message about and what is the person meant to do with it? Is the purpose of the email to inform? Is it to get an action? Is it to require a reply? Is it a note that the building's on fire and the fire alarm's not working, so please read your emails and then evacuate the building? There's The purpose needs to be clear in the subject line because if it's not, the email may never be opened. And there's a bunch of research as to the importance of subject lines on open rates and having an unclear purpose, like why, what do I need to do with it? If I don't know what I'm going to do with it, I will either open it because the person is important who sent it or I will ignore it because I don't know what to do with it, and I don't want to think about that, so I will open the next one, that I do understand why it's important. Topic and purpose. Really, really important. So this one wasn't clear, which was unfortunate. And then when we get into it, it's a short email. There are two paragraphs with three lines each, and a couple of single lines, so you wouldn't think there was much in the message. And One of the challenges with this is there are three topics, but nowhere in the message does it say, I have three separate topics, or say what they are, or say what Michael is meant to do with each one of these things. It's just a little bit of a a laundry list of stuff. And so, Michael, when you got this, did you you know what you needed to do? Was it clear if you had to take any actions or not?
2: Well, I kind of know these three topics, right? I'm supposed to do something, but it was not clear to me, like, what do I specifically need to do and by when, right? Because I'm busy and so I want to be laser focused on, tell me what's most important and if there's something, and actually one of these should be approved within 24 hours, <laughs> but that's not clear here. And then how do I get to whatever I'm supposed to do? Like, you need to look at this section because I wasn't sure or my invoice is due, you haven't paid it yet, (laughs) right? Whatever that might be. So here's where I feel like this is on my side, I'm kind of guessing or I've got to do more work, cognitive load, like I want that to be served up to me so it's very easy and if it's very clear, I'll go do it right away, but make it easy for me.
1: Yeah, make it easy, that's absolutely, critical to clear emails. Any ambiguity, and you lose, you're, you're sort of at the mercy of what the other person interprets. And if you make other people do work, because your messages are unclear and not explicit, it's making, you're creating work for them, and it's less likely that they will do it. You In the way we write emails, we can make it really easy for other people to reply. Yeah. An example of that was in the previous Example where I added that request. Can you review and reply? I knew straight away what I needed to do And I could choose whether to do it or not you would have made it easy for me to reply review and reply to that email Now in this case With the context this should have been three separate messages
0: Hmm.
1: You can have lots of topics in an email if they're on a common theme but if they're not on a common theme meaning they all relate to the same project or the same goal or the same outcome and so on. If they're not relating to that, you cause a few problems that are completely unintentional and we may not even be aware of when we cause them. The first is people may address, the recipient of your message can address the first one. In this case, the first paragraph is about uh, editing a podcast episode. Well, maybe you'd have read that and gone, okay, now I've got the podcast episode into information and you move on to the next email, not realizing the next two lines contain two completely different topics.
2: Right. Which is why I miss the paying the invoice. <laughs> it's, <Yeah. laughs> okay. it's way down so, there, right? <laughs>
1: so, yeah. It's the last line. And yeah. it doesn't, it also doesn't say it needs paying, but we'll come yeah, to that. It just
2: says also it's attached. So.
1: so three topics. If they were all, if there were three different things all about the edited podcast one email hey the topic is this edited podcast i have three things that i want to talk to you about dum 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 in this case there had been a podcast and then something about the weekly agenda and then the mysterious additional notes uh, topic that was in the subject line should have been a different email saying please pay this invoice today like that is a message entirely by itself the topic is clear, the purpose is clear, the time frame is clear. So three separate messages would have made this clearer, reduced the chances of missing one of those items, which, which you even said that you did. So it, that's a real example of how an important line can be missed because it's buried under other topics.
2: Yeah. to to be fair, this is a younger assistant, recent college grad entering the workforce. And and I feel like I was there too. And this has gone through a process. These are much more concise than they used to be. And and so I'm happier with it. I do feel like all the things we've said are more important. I'm dying to see how you've you've revised this. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) How to make it more effective.
1: I have revised it. Now let's assume it's going to stay as one email. What we can do is the same as we talked about on the first message. The, I've updated the subject line. The subject line is now a podcast update, invoice, and key events to prepare for this week. Hmm. Okay. So there are three topics, and I didn't say please pay the invoice. End up getting a really long subject line there, but an invoice has something implied, and then events to prepare for this week. So the purpose is for you to have information to do preparation for this week. might not be perfect, but I put that up pretty quickly before, before we joined this. Then there's a two line intro. Hi, Michael. Here's an update on the podcast editing and the key events you need to prepare for this week. There's also a couple of requests, a couple of questions and a request for you to reply to. Thanks. So it's outlined the fact that there are multiple topics, said what the topics are, and it's told you there are questions and requests. So it's prepared you to know what's coming next in the email. We're saying how to save time. You can read that two lines and know that there's actions, know that there's something you have to ask. You then have to go and find them, but you don't have to work out, are there questions? Am I being asked to do something? It's very, very obvious for you up front. After that, it's back to the formatting. We've got three main topics. Each topic has a very clear heading. Podcast edit, larger typeface, bold, underlined. The key events this week. Yeah. Same cool. as the podcast had it, large, bold, underlined, and the same for the invoice. Requests and actions have been pulled out onto their own lines and labeled. And from a very context specific piece, in the key events this week, what was originally just a statement that here's this week's agenda, that didn't deliver what you needed for your business. You needed to know what's important for me, what out of the agenda should I be aware of, and so on. So I've changed it to say, here are the key events this week, here's the schedule, and then a couple of lines of commentary. You've got a full week, you need to be aware of these important events. And then put in the bullets of what are the key events or the key things that you would need to be aware of. It's not repeating everything that was in the attached agenda, but it's making it easy for you to see the things that are important and you don't have to dig for them yourself.
2: Yeah. This is excellent, Chris. And one question, if there is a hard deadline, which there was, for example, on that podcast edit, we had previously agreed. You know, if I don't respond within forty-eight hours, they can actually ship it because I don't want to be the the bottleneck on stuff. So, so there would simply request and deadline, or a request needs to be approved by X date, or I will yes. ship it.
1: Okay. if there's a time frame, include the time frames okay. and. You can, you can highlight those. That I went through a period of sometimes just uh, I'd put out a, a request, and I'd put request the word in bold, then ask the question, and then put by X date, and I'd bold the date. So you could see that there was a request and a date. I you know, flip-flopped as to whether that was good or not. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. Most people didn't care. Um, the, one of the important things is be consistent. Whatever you pick, be consistent in the same email, don't change different heading styles as you go through and be consistent between your emails if you always highlight the word question to show that there's a question if you don't do it people will uh, you'll have trained people to not look for the question so they they won't see it so you do need to be consistent doesn't need lots of colors doesn't need a lot that's fancy but having a consistent organized structure that makes it obvious by looking at it that there are different pieces of information, that will be incredibly helpful for people to skim read and read in detail. And most of us skim read so many of the emails. So those headers make make that much easier. Yeah.
2: Once again, a fantastic mini masterclass there. Chris, your book has tons of practical examples, goes into lots of nuances from email chains, how to manage those, etiquette, et cetera. One question here that always comes up. A lot of people feel like email is like whack-a-mole. Yeah. You respond to it or you respond to it in the evening and all of a sudden it generates, it's like it like multiplies overnight. Is there an etiquette or way to respond so you don't get this like <coughs> you're being efficient and then it like grows in <laughs> multitudes. What's, is there a simple way there? I think that's on everyone's mind.
1: Yeah, just don't send emails. That's really <laughs> the, the... There isn't one thing that you can do that will make that problem go away because it's like asking a question in a group setting in a conversation. You're going to have a conversation that comes afterwards. The trouble with email is that you know, when does it end? For, to reduce the number of emails you get, there are a couple of things you can do that will have an immediate impact. And this is this I've heard from feedback from people who are applying the techniques from the books. And that is when you are clearer in what you are asking, you get fewer replies because those replies contain the thing you need. A lot. I've, I should be careful. Saying, some emails that we get are emails that are to clarify what is being asked. Some emails that we get are incorrect answers or answering a different question to what we asked. If we make the original question clear, we greatly improve the chances that people will answer it and answer it one time rather than having that back and forward clarity. That by itself reduces some amount of email. Now, right at the beginning of this, I said, we're not going to remove 100% of email. But imagine if it was 1% better. 5% better would be fantastic, or 10. If you could go from 100 emails a day to 90, that's still a 10% less workload in your, your email. Small changes that are clear will reduce the number of steps in the discussion to get the outcome that you want.
2: Brief emails, being concise, following structure. You've got it all in your book, and that is, I I think it's not going to make small incremental changes. It'll make huge changes. Chris, as we're coming here to the end, I wanted to pit the master, Chris Fenning against a rising master who is out there, which is ChatGPT. As I was reading your book and going through this and doing the audit, I suddenly said, well, maybe ChatGPT could have taken my email and done a good job with it as well. And so what I did was I fed that in and I simply asked it, could you write this email more concisely? And then I put that whole body, this first one that we looked at, the two days out logistic reminders. Oh,
0: and I'm so, looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. This.
2: So we're going to pull up the after, the final. If we can pull that up right now, I want to show you because before is simply, this is the following email more concisely. That was my prompt. Okay. Yep. And so if we, we look at it, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Those who are out there can pause the video and read through it. It is much shorter. Okay, that's the first thing. And white space, one, two, three. Mm -hmm. And they didn't write the subject line. So, hi, Chris, looking forward to our podcast interview on Thursday, May 4th about effective emails. Tomorrow, I'll send you my prep sheet, a line of questions. Let me know if you have any questions. Here are some logistics to keep in mind. And then it has the three. Each one is maximum two sentences. And then ends, let's discuss areas. Summarized all my questions there into like one sentence. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep. And then see you in two days. So I want to pause there and ask you: Is this a good email, or is there a problem with it? Yeah. Does it reach the the gold standard in your book, effective emails, <laughs> or where is it sitting? Because we've got, we've got. To, I mean, I just pumped that in, so it's like, yeah, okay. I'm using technology a little bit. What do you make of it?
1: So from a, from a formatting layout, yeah, follows a bunch of the rules. Clear, concise, white space, number order, and so on. So from a formatting perspective, yes, it's good. To to answer the question of, is it better? The only way to know that is, does it serve the purpose that you needed it to serve? And yes, it's shorter. That means it's taken information out. Is that information things that I needed? And when you rely on the machine to do it, you now have to go back and double cross check what you wanted versus what's in it. Are there gaps? Is it miss? Has it stripped out a critical piece of information? Has it stripped out a question? Uh, they send an updated headshot bio, otherwise we'll modify the one. You'd put you'd put a bit more info as to where you would get that from. Is that important for me to have? And only you can answer that. So I could look at this and go, yeah, it's it's great because it's shorter, but if it's stripped out the three vital things that you needed me to know, then no, it's a complete failure because it hasn't given me the absolutely critical things that serve the purpose of the message.
2: Okay, so really go into that purpose and that's where the human element comes in and the check.
1: Yes, yeah. Now, if someone tends to write war and peace length emails, so they're 12 pages of continuous text and it's all one block and there's no formatting, um, I'd say probably sticking that into GPT or some other AI tool to cut it down would be helpful. But still, it's better to write a three-line specific email than a 25-page one that isn't clear. That, that's a book, not, not an email. But it will always come back to purpose. What are you trying to achieve? Do you need someone to do something? Then say that up front and give them only the information they need to do it. Don't fill it with other background information, things you think they might like. Give people the absolute minimum necessary to achieve the thing that they need to do. Okay.
2: So technology is helping us. It's still a tool. There is the human part, focus on purpose. And I I would dare say, maybe it's the prompt because maybe I should have written, see the following email, please write it more concisely after you have read Chris's book, Effective Emails, and Uh, applying his principles. (laughs) That will be chat five. The prompt that will make it be, more effective.
1: The prompts <laughs> are so important. I saw a cartoon about emails and uh, it was either ChatGPT or AutoGPT or one of them. And it was somebody sat in front of a computer talking to their colleague saying, I got ChatGPT to turn my one line into a proper email and it had blown it out. And then the person on the other end turned to their colleague and said, I got ChatGPT to turn this big long email into one line for me so I could read it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it'd gone from one line to a page and a page down to one line. Purpose, topic and purpose is absolutely the key for this. If you want someone to do something, don't fill a page if you can say it in three sentences. Yeah.
2: So Chris, as I like to say on the show, using the analogy of a plane ride, and we do know that you, from the previous episode, took a plane solo in up at an airport in, the UK did, in yeah. your, your younger years. It's time to put the tray tails up in ready position as we land the plane here. Anything that we did not cover that you wanted to mark here at the end?
1: We've, we've covered the main things. I, there's one bugbear. Can, can I give a tip that, that's a yeah. personal bugbear? And so far, every time I've said it, people have gone, oh, yeah. If you are forwarding an email chain to somebody, please, please, please don't just write FYI and then have the forwarded message put two lines that say what is the chain for what is the topic and what is the purpose that you want the person receiving it to do is it you just give, you want them to have it in their back pocket in case it comes up later you want them to review certain sections you want them to reply to a particular bit in which case do extra things provide it don't do FYI that's that's the key piece and the next step is write a very short summary saying this is what this chain is about, and this is what I want you to do with it, or would like you to do with it. That, that's how to forward an
2: email chain uh, in an effective way. <laughs> I'm grinning because I just did that to an email to my son.
1: Awesome! <laughs> oh, <laughs> <no! laughs> so,
2: doing that meant a lot. Yes, I should have probably added one sentence, and that's probably why he says, Dad, you need to be more clear and more concise, eat my own medicine. <laughs> Chris, fantastic episode practical as always. Your books are super practical guys that can be used in many ways that should be on your shelf. Again, effective emails, Chris Fenning, trainer, award-winning author. Thank you so much for being here. How do people best reach you and your work, Chris?
1: Find me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is my social hangout, and my books are available wherever you like to buy books—not just Amazon. You can order them through your bookstores and so on. And uh, yeah, but come find me on LinkedIn. That's that's where I hang out.
2: What a pleasure! Thank
1: you so much. Thank you, Michael. It's been—I I love this podcast, and it's a real pleasure to be back on it again. Thanks.
3: Thanks for listening to 97% Effective, where we skip happy talk and help you break through and ascend one hard truth at a time. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, you can get free resources, including the first chapters of Michael's book, Get Promoted, on his website, www.chengwinderoth.com. That's w